Anderson. Hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. Sox win. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Another game. Welcome back. This is the Feeling Soxy podcast. We are almost to episode 50. We're episode 49. 49 episodes, almost 50 episodes that I can't believe that we've gone through this far with this season and have not completely quit the podcast. There have been Plenty of times where we've wanted to do that, but the band still goes on. As this is episode number 49, the Chris Sale episode. Chris Sale, the greatest White Sox player to ever, or the greatest White Sox pitcher, let me rephrase that, that I've ever seen grace the black and white pinstripes for us. I mean, every time that Chris Sale went on the mound, he was going to go seven shutout innings, strike out at least 10 guys and give the White Sox a very good chance to win because back in those days when he was on the team, that was really the only time that they would be able to get victories. Kind of similar to what they are now with Dylan Cease and Johnny Cueto where they're only the two starting pitchers who you can rely on and feel pretty good that they're going to win the game. With Chris Sale on the mound, you felt very good every time that he was on the mound. What makes Chris Sale very significant is... Well, his tenuous exit with the White Sox. He famously, in 2016, everybody knows the dysfunction of that season, was Chris Sale got tired of, or the Chris Chris Sale, that was the Adam, there was the Adam LaRoche, the spring of Adam LaRoche, when Drake LaRoche was the clubhouse leader, according to Adam Eaton, before he got shoved into a locker by Todd Frazier. But Chris Sale was there. He told Kenny Williams to, stay the F out of the locker room. That was a famous thing. And then later in the summer, he cut up the jerseys. That's a famous White Sox story. Probably the more thing, probably the most thing that Chris Sale is most remembered for in terms of his White Sox career. Well, why are we talking about Chris Sale? Well, his re when he was traded after the 2016 season, his trade, when he got traded to the Boston Red Sox, he was the trade that started off the rebuild. That started off the rebuild that started six years ago. He was traded for Yoel Mangata, Michael Kopech, Luis Alexander Basabe, and Victor Diaz. Two of those guys have never reached the major leagues. Two of those guys are currently on the White Sox right now and are currently hurt. Much like Chris Sale, who currently got who is currently on the IL with a broken wrist after he fell off of his bike. So very unfortunate spot for Mr. Chris Sale. But this isn't about him. This is about this current White Sox team. And when Chris Sale was traded and you had the thought, the whole entire front office bought everybody in on this idea of a rebuild. We saw the Cubs do it. And let's be honest. We've seen modern examples of rebuilds working. We've seen the Cubs, even though they are kind of in the middle of their own retool but from 2015 to 2021, when they traded off those guys, they went through a rebuild. 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, they were not good teams. They were not good teams, but you could see the end of the tunnel. And when they and when you got to the end of the tunnel, it rewarded them with a World Series championship. The Houston Astros are also a prime example of a modern rebuild that worked. They went through four straight years of 100-plus losses, 
100 plus losses. There was many of times where people were asking themselves around baseball, wondering, what are the Astros doing? Why, why are they? Why is all this losing happening? I think Bo Porter was like the manager for three years, and he basically got the axe because I don't know. I mean, what what were you expecting him to do? I mean, he, you know, you're basically telling him to he's bringing a butter knife to a gunfight. Like that's basically what going through a rebuild is. You're basically just accepting the fact that you're going to lose games. Okay, with the thought of with prospect development. These guys will be up here in no time, and then in five years from now, we will be in a position where we are a World Series contender or, quite frankly, fighting for a spot to be in the playoffs. Why am I starting off with this, with the, the recap of telling you what a rebuild is? Because we are five years into our rebuild, and you can't even tell the difference between the team that they broke down and rebuilt 2016 to the team right now, which is unmotivating, very unlikable, and the modern-day hitless wonders, except this time they don't have the starting pitching to go along with it. The hitless wonders, this is what I'm currently calling this version of the Chicago White Sox because this team can't hit. This team hasn't been able to hit all year long, but I, we've all known that. But why is this a problem now? Because we're, we're in year five of our rebuild. When we set out when we traded off guys. We traded Jose Quintana for Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. That trade, for the most part, has worked out. But what about the Todd Frazier trade? Are any of those guys on the White Sox? And the the Chris Sale trade, I mentioned him. This episode is the Chris Sale episode. Michael Kopech's been fine, but he's hurt. How about Yoel Moncada? Yoel Moncada might be one of the more greater disappointments in, what, in modern White Sox history in terms of prospects that we thought was going to be a guy that was going to explode onto the scene, really kind of be a guy that when you heard the comparisons of this guy's like a Roberto Alomar, he can switch hit, he can hit to all fields. And we all saw it, especially in 2019 when he had, when he finished third in the American league in batting average had 25 home runs and 79 RBIs. That was the Yoan Moncada that we thought that we were going to be getting three years down the line. And now we are three years down the line. Yoan Moncada can't hit and he can't stay healthy. Michael Kopech, had to deal with his own injury problems and is still dealing with them. Aloy Jimenez, as much as I love Eloy, you know, his, his durability is a question. And then you look all around the diamond. How are there so many holes on this roster when they're near five of a rebuild? The roster construction leading up to this is just putrid. It's putrid. This team is absolutely putrid. This is leading me to the biggest question of whether this rebuild is a failure. Is it too soon to say that this White Sox rebuild has been a failure with the way that this season has gone? I mean, we don't even need to go into a recap of what happened over the weekend. They got swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks, including the third game, which I was down the left field line for. Shout out Emily for going to the game with me. But they got swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks. If you want to go back even further, on Thursday, the way that they lost to the Baltimore Orioles on Thursday which, by the way, Liam Hendricks had 19 consecutive complete saves, probably should still be on his reign of 20, but they're up 3-2. to two. It looked like that they were going to come back, and they fought their way back, and even Jose Abreu would have had the game-winning RBI. He really shoved it right into my face, shoved it right in my face. I was hearing all the criticisms of, 
he's not clutch, which I still don't think he is. I mean, just because you come up clutch once with an RBI single doesn't mean that we're just going to forget the other times where you had the bases loaded and you struck out swinging at pitches that were at your eyeballs. But this isn't about Jose Abreu being clutch. This is how they lost the game to the Baltimore Orioles, which was so... I can't really even say it's baffling. I mean, at this point, it's almost predictable when this team is going to collapse because we've seen it happen so many times throughout the year, whether it was the Josh Naylor game where the infield completely forgot to play defense. And then this led to the Guardians tying the game in the ninth inning, six straight runs. That was ever since that game, everything has been off with this White Sox team. Everything from starting pitching to the offense that can't hit, to bad fielding, to bad fundamentals, to a bullpen that is wildly, for the most part, about as inconsistent as its starting pitchers. Like, like what are we talking about here? So this leads us to, I got a little off track there, but this is all just building up to Thursday's game. You had one out to get. Adam Engel hits a, or not Adam Engel, I'm blanking on the player's name, who hit his first career home run in the ninth inning after Adam Engel should have caught the ball, which if he would have caught the ball, would have ended the entire game. Well, what happens next? Liam Hendricks gives up a game-tying home run literally two pitches later, and then they end up losing the game in extra innings 4-3. to three. I mean, I could probably tell you I watched some of that game. I watched that ninth inning go down. It's unbelievable at this point. I mean, this team, you literally cannot go one day without finding just a, a way to lose a game. And they found a way to lose the game to the Baltimore Orioles, much like how they found a way to lose a game, lose this series to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like, it's just, it's the epitome of this team. Like, this is the most underachieving, disappointing baseball team. And as such, it's an organizational failure. I've been screaming this for months, that this organization has been failing this team. Well, that led us to losing two out of three instead of taking two out of three from the Orioles. This led us into the weekend series with the Arizona Diamondbacks, which I'm not really going to go into game-by-game recap because all of these games are realistically just crap. I will say about Friday's game, I mean, Johnny Cueto, I mean, he was due for a stinker, but, I mean, what do you expect when you're already losing 6 nothing and you already feel like this game is over, like they have no shot whatsoever to come back? You know, you could have Len Casper saying, well, you know, on May 9th, the uh, Guardians came back. Well, we are not the Guardians. We don't fight like the Guardians. We don't hustle like the Guardians. We don't play good defense like the Guardians. We don't pitch well like the Guardians. So, Len Casper, shut up when you say stuff like that because you know good and damn well this team, if they are down by six runs, four runs, or even two runs, there's a very good chance that they're not going to come back because they have shown time and time again that they cannot rise up to these moments. Whenever they fall behind, it's pretty much over. And you might as well just turn the game off and just be be mad about it for some. I'll tell you how much these this weekend series just kind of this is kind of where I'm at with this team right now. Like they started losing on Saturday. Well, Friday, Friday, the game was already lost. Like I mentioned, they, they, you could talk about, oh, they had two straight singles, but then the next guy hits into a double play. Like that's the epitome of this team season. You get the bases loaded, nobody out at any point in time during a white Sox season, the white Sox could have the bases loaded, nobody out and nobody does anything. 
It's a strikeout. It's hitting into a double play. It's getting no runs or getting only one run. When other teams get the bases loaded, like what happened with the Arizona Diamondbacks on Friday, they unload and take advantage of it. Something that good teams do, not the last place Arizona Diamondbacks, which, I mean, they swept your ass right out of Chicago. So, I mean, what does that say about this White Sox team that they can't beat the Arizona Diamondbacks? I mean, Johnny Cueto has a stinker. Dylan Cease yesterday pitched an absolute gem. He went eight innings, gave up only two hits that were two home runs. It doesn't help that this team doesn't give its starting pitchers any run support. I mean, how many runs did they score this weekend? They scored nine. They scored nine runs in three games. That's an average of three runs a game. That's, I mean, that's pretty much what this team is. They are a team that they can score three runs, but can't score anymore. So that's the key to beating this year's White Sox team. You hold them up, you put their backs against the wall, and they will fold like a laptop. And I mean, at this point, it's sad to say because this team shows no fight. Tony LaRusso can say, oh, I'm angry. I'm angry. Well, where were you in April when we were angry about this team? Where were you in April when you were making these dumb, idiotic decisions like choosing to pitch to Byron Buxton, which I'm not even going to give him flack for because Liam Hendricks is going to lose the game anyway. But walking guys on one-two counts, these inconsistent lineups, leaving your guys out to dry, performing malpractice, letting Luis Robert, who can't even swing a bat, let him take an at-bat. Like, what are we doing here? Not taking the ball away from Michael Kopech when you are in a situation that you need to start winning these games. And more times than not, they look uninterested. They look like, it just looks like they're uninterested. Like I mentioned, they don't, they look complacent. Like this team basically was so complacent that they gave this division to the Cleveland Guardians. The Cleveland Guardians basically out-hustled the White Sox to win the American League Central. And quite frankly, they have no one to blame but themselves. Like, what are the, like, these guys walked around with this machismo. Like, oh, we've been here before. The White Sox, you have not accomplished anything. And I think you can make the argument that this is bad. Like, this team, I don't know which direction this team is going to go in because at this point in time, it's just, it's just a matter of, like, whether they, they can even turn it around. And quite frankly, with the way that, the, that we have seen this front office perform since Rick Hahn has been the general manager, and sure, not everything is his fault, but he's also the guy who's responsible for building the team. Kenny Williams is also responsible for helping build the team. Jerry Reinsdorf is responsible for helping supply the money for the team that he likes to keep in his pocket nine times out of ten because – that's the way that he has always operated. He always, always operated with the modest opinion of you need to finish in second place. You need to keep dangling that carrot in front of those fans so that they can keep coming back, keep coming back. And then when you and eventually fall short in second place, you could say, well, we need to improve. We need to add this. We need to add that. So that way we can end up in first place. That's not the White Sox philosophy. That's not a Jerry Reinsdorf philosophy. And that's going to lead me to what was going around the ballpark this weekend on Saturday while they're losing to the Arizona Diamondbacks, which I don't know how you lose to the Arizona Diamondbacks, but now people are definitely getting turned off by this team. People are sick of this team. At this point, nobody's really even surprised that they got swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm not because they have, they've shown an inability two weeks ago. I saw us coming two weeks ago when they lost three out of four to the Kansas city Royals. And I, basically screamed to the heavens of, well, we're not going to be talking about the White Sox anymore because 
There's nothing good to talk about with them because there is nothing good to talk about. Whenever we're sitting here on this podcast, I'm just bitching and moaning and giving you recaps of what happened in the series because every single series, it's something else different. It's an inconsistent offense. Actually, more times than not, it's the same thing. It's the offense not scoring enough runs, which at this point, you guys just suck. Like, you guys just suck. All of your batters suck. And I and granted, they're missing half of their guys. Luis Roberts hurt. I get it. Tim Anderson's hurt. Yoel Moncada's hurt. But it's not like Yoel Moncada was hitting the ball when he was in the lineup. Like, Yasmani Grandal, like, yeah, he's on a rehab assignment. I saw that he hit a home run in his rehab assignment. He probably won't hit another home run for the rest of the year because that's basically all that scumbag does is just hit rehab rehab start home runs and then basically come up here and strike out strike out oh i'm gonna take a pitch right down the middle and get out guessed by a breaking ball type of stuff like it's it's so idiotic at this point it's so frustrating and i mean i've already voiced my displeasures i mean it's, i'm way past the point of just coming on here and just screaming into a microphone which i'm telling you guys how i feel nine times out of ten but this team just doesn't have it I want to continue to believe in them, but they show no signs that they are going to go on a run. They've shown me zero that they are going to be going on some sort of run, can still win the Central, which, I mean, quite frankly, this is the closest that I've gotten to basically saying this team's not winning the Central because they've shown us nothing. And even when they were on their little five-game winning streak, when people were like, oh, is this the start of something to come? Is this the start of when they were going to go on the run? Yeah, much like the other one when they swept the doubleheader in New York, when they beat the Blue Jays in a series, when they beat the Tampa Bay Rays in a series. I mean, I could go down the list of how many times people thought, hey, this is the jumping off point. The second half, the end of the first half, when they beat the Twins three out of four, is this a jumping off point for this team? No, there is no jumping off point for this team because this is who they are. They are an inconsistent lineup that's not going to be able to score runs and have the most mediocre offensive approaches that I've ever freaking seen. Like the fact that they just don't do anything about it is asinine. I mean, it basically supports the the fact of the sell the team thing. I know I, I went, went a little bit off track because fans are getting really, really annoyed. Fans have basically had a breaking point. This is our breaking point with dealing with Jerry Reinsdorf as the owner. Fans are now holding up banners saying, sell the team, sell the team, sell the team, which I will be the first to say, yeah, sell the team sell the team Jerry Reinsdorf I don't want your geriatric ass owning this team anymore so that we can actually be a a smartly ran baseball organization a good ran baseball organization one that has a baseball operator a president of baseball operations a general manager a a front office that actually goes and picks their own manager not the one that the owner wants which is what happened and why Tony La Russa is here Tony La Russa is here because Jerry Reinsdorf wanted him here and because his friendship with Tony La Russa has basically led to this crap of a season that was supposed to be filled with World Series expectations. And it was. I mean, this was year five of our rebuild. We should be celebrating and getting ready for the 2022 American League playoffs. But instead, we're sitting here talking about whether this rebuild is a failure or not. Because it's still up for debate. Because that's a question that I didn't think was possible. Is this rebuild a failure? Because 
there's not a whole lot coming out of this that's really showing you that things are being successful. Like, Luis Robert has been a great developmental thing, but he can't stay on the field half the time. That's the same with Aloy. If Aloy is healthy, he's going to hit the ball. Tim Anderson, when he's healthy, he's going to hit the ball. I'm not going to say the same for Yoan Mankata, but, I mean, they need these guys in the lineup, and more times than not, they have their health has let them down and put them in the spot where now we have to watch Romy Gonzalez play, go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. By the way, Romy Gonzalez sucks. Carlos Perez, I don't know where they got this guy. I know the media was talking him up like he was going to be like Yasmani Grandal's replacement going into the year, or his backup going into the year, not his replacement, but his backup going into the year. He's technically replacing him right now while Grandal's on the injured list. This guy stinks. Like, he, how are we so bad at developing catchers? Sebi Zavala is not that much better either. Like, how are we so bad at developing catchers? This fucking Carlos Perez guy is going to drop a pop-up right in front of him? I didn't see this play because I turned the game off on Saturday because they blew the 3-0 lead, and when they blew that lead, I turned the game off and watched Charlotte get the snot beat out of them and cost me money on a parlay. More college football talk later. But this White Sox team just... I've just, I've just had enough with it. I've had enough with it. This is the worst White Sox season of probably my entire lifetime. Like, I can't remember a White Sox season that, I mean, sure, I can remember ones where things went bad. You knew the team wasn't going to be good. And you more just watched for developmental things like, hey, let's see this guy develop. Let's see how he develops. Let's see if he takes steps in the right forward. And I could even say that I've watched teams that, have lost 100-plus games, show more heart and show more fight than this pathetic excuse for a baseball team that was supposed to be a World Series contender coming into the year and now basically bamboozled everybody because because of why? Because the roster construction sucks. Because you have an owner that's playing favorites and picks his best friend as the manager. And look at where that's getting them. It's getting them nowhere. This team is basically a representation of Tony La Russa. Lack of days ago, old, and probably just needs a nap. I've had enough with this White Sox team. And quite frankly, I think you should too. Like, I've had enough with these Jerry Reinsdorf seasons where nothing gets better. Like, how do we know that they're going to get things right? Sure, we can say fire Rick Hahn, fire Kenny Williams, fire Tony La Russa. But if Jerry Reinsdorf is still making the decisions of those hirings, nothing's going to change with this organization. This team and this organization is going to be ran the exact same, like a cheap excuse, like a cheap small market team. That is how the White Sox operate. Not like that they are a team that's in the second biggest market in the entire world. It is, in fact, an embarrassment. I think Jerry Reinsdorf should absolutely be embarrassed. He should sell the team tomorrow, sell them tomorrow, and then have somebody come in and clean house. Reinsdorf out, TLR out, Rick Hahn out, Kenny Williams out. Get those four guys out of this organization and get some people who can run a smart organization. I want to be an organization like the Dodgers or the Braves, or the Cardinals, that no matter what, they're developing prospects through their systems that eventually they can use those prospects to go get better players. The White Sox have shown no inability to do that whatsoever. If they were that organization, then they would be making those moves, and then they would be in a World Series contender and probably winning the American League Central. But instead, they punted on the offseason, they punted at the trade deadline, and guess what? You can officially say that they punted on this 
season. And it is an abject failure all the way around in this organization. And there needs to be changes. But as long as Jerry Reinsdorf is owning that team, there's going to be no major changes with this team. Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams basically have jobs for life. Tony La Russa should be fired, should have been fired in June if he was in any other baseball organization. But he's with the White Sox where the owner basically picked him and not the general manager. So that's where we are with this White Sox team. Our frustrations really have kind of boiled over. And quite frankly, you should be done with this team. Like, I'm done with this team. I don't want to go to another game. Sure, I'll, have, I'll go to have fun, but they're not going to win. They're just going to lose. They're going to lose to some mediocre team, a team that they are better than, a team that shows more hunger, shows more fight than they do. Like, they just roll out of bed and be like, oh, we can, we're going to beat the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, you should have swept the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they came in here and beat your fucking ass. Aye, aye, aye. It's just nothing has changed with this team. Nothing will ever change with this team, with this organization, as long as Jerry Reinsdorf is the owner. And I hate to say it because I love this team to death. I love this. I love the White Sox to death. I will always love them. But there's just that thought in the back of my mind that as long as that stupid geriatric Jerry Reinsdorf owns this franchise, they will not go to the promised land because they will only do just good enough to dangle that carrot in front of us. Like I mentioned before, they will do just enough to dangle that carrot in front of us until basically there's no more carrot left and then we're back into a rebuild and losing for five years. And basically we're almost on the brink of that. I mean, think about what has happened with the vibes with this team. I mean, the Cubs and White Sox vibes have completely flipped like, people feel better about the Cubs than they do about the White Sox. You know why? Because the Cubs play hard. The Cubs play better fundamentals. The Cubs play smart baseball, even though their talent isn't there. They should be playing the game like how the White Sox should be playing, where they're sloppy on defense. They can't feel the ground ball. But instead, the Cubs are playing better baseball than the White Sox are. And that is a motherfucking shame. That is a shame, and quite frankly, I mean, that's that's a fireable offense. Like, everybody should be fired, even Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, but he's not going anywhere anytime soon, and I think that is probably the worst part about this whole thing is that we don't know if they're going to get it right. I don't trust them to get it right. I, I put my trust in them to go through this rebuild of five-plus years of this crap to get to this point to where now we're playing two first basemen in the outfield. Luis Robert can barely stay on the field. Tim Anderson can barely stay on the field. Yoan Mankata basically reverted back to 2018. Yoan Mankata, Lucas Giolito is now the worst pitcher in baseball now. Like, who would have thought any of this was possible in this season of 2022? Because I certainly did it. I thought this team was going to at least go to the ALCS and win 96 games. Wow, who's the fucking idiot there? <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so dumb. I'm so dumb, I'm so dumb, I'm so dumb, and so gullible. But we try and persevere. I mean, it's been a struggle doing the podcast on this team the entire season. Like, you guys hear my soul basically get ripped out of my chest. Like, I didn't even recap this entire series. I touched on the sell, on the sell the team stuff because, quite frankly, sell the fucking White Sox so we can get a real owner in here who's going to try and put together a smart organizational baseball team that can be able to develop prospects through the minor leagues and still be able to go out and get marquee free agents and really good superstar baseball talents and not the ones that are 35 years old and way over the hill. 
that's what this White Sox team needs more. They need they need organizational change. They need organizational change because I mean, quite frankly, I'm sick of how this team is ran. I don't I don't trust them to even do anything right at this point. Like I put my trust in them to go through this rebuild and look where we are at now. We can't even beat the Diamondbacks. Can't even beat the Royals. Like these teams that are in last place are playing more hungrier. Now they come in here thinking that, oh, we can come away and beat these guys if we just score more than five runs. Because, I mean, quite frankly, at this point, that's all you need to do to beat this White Sox team is just score five runs or score six runs, go up six nothing on them. You'll basically crush their entire will. All right. So enough of the White Sox talk. Uh, we'll. How about game balls? Nobody gets a game ball on the White Sox. They are an embarrassment of a franchise. They've lost 9 out of 11. Nobody gets a game ball. Tony La Russa can be mad. I'll take his game ball and shove it right up his ass. Okay, maybe that was a little bit too far. But we're moving on to football. We're going to transition into football. So the Bears' last preseason game was on Saturday against the Cleveland Browns. And a couple takeaways that I had from... The first half, I only watched the first half. I watched for the first team. So, you know, obviously I was big into watching what Justin Fields was doing, how the offensive line was looking, which, I mean, anytime Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney don't play for the Browns, it's going to make the offensive line's job that much easier. So the Browns weren't playing any of their real good defensive starters. I think they basically got what they wanted out of them throughout the preseason and I think they just wanted to get to the regular season with them healthy. Miles Garrett wasn't playing. Jadavion Clowney wasn't playing. So it basically seemed like it was an easy day for the Bears offensive line. Like they were able to get the push. They were giving Justin Fields plenty of time. Like Fields looked really, really great. I mean, 16 of 14, 156 yards and three touchdown passes. Dave Montgomery also played, had 28 yards. But Justin Fields, I mean, when you think about his first start ever, was against the Cleveland Browns. Now, like I mentioned, they Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett weren't playing. He got sacked four and a half times by Garrett last year, so it was definitely one of the better times. Actually, I will say this. Justin Fields probably hasn't looked that good in a Chicago Bears uniform in the year, year and a half that he has been in there. It seems like in his new system, the way that he was able, the way the offense was going, you know, he found a 22-yard touchdown pass to tight end Ryan Griffin. And then Dante Pettis found a touchdown pass. And Cole Komet, who was putting together a very, very good good spring spring training, uh, training camp preseason. They put together very good, very good results out of this team in the preseason. I mean, you could tell that the coaching staff has definitely had their paws on what this team is going to look like going into this year. There's no... How do I put this? There's no, like the bears don't have, like I could tell throughout the season that they were very disciplined on the defensive side of the ball. And quite frankly, on the offensive side of the ball, like you could tell, like obviously Justin Fields got hit, which I don't know how he still doesn't get hit, but Sam Mustafar was ready to knock somebody's head off. I want to see more of that this year where you have the offensive lineman backing up the quarterback where the quarterback gets hit. And then you have three guys from the offensive line getting ready to beat the snot out of the guy that knocked him out. I mean, Tevin Jenkins did that last year, and then you had Jermaine Effetti yelling at him like, what are you doing? I mean, Jermaine Effetti, you freaking stink. Don't tell a rookie how to how to operate. And But Tevin Jenkins, speaking of him, since I was just talking about him, he looked really good on the offensive line. He was able to get to the second level of his blocking schemes. He looked really good, looked really comfortable in that right guard scheme. 
Now, obviously, people still think he could get traded. I think they would be stupid if they tried to trade him because, I mean, who are you going to play a guard? You're going to rely on one of those fifth or sixth round picks that you took? I mean, no. You're already doing that by putting Braxton Jones at the left tackle. So that was one thing that I had a takeaway. The offensive line was able to hold up for Justin Fields, which, I mean, that's the biggest key for this team was the offensive line held up. Justin Fields looked about as good as I've ever seen him look with a in a Chicago Bears uniform. And then when you also factor in that the defense was fairly well, they were flying all over the place. They were they had three or four guys going to the ball. Like you could tell that this coaching staff has done a complete 360 with how they want their football team to look. That everybody run it honestly looked like one of those old Lovey Smith defenses where you had four or five guys running to the ball. Like last year, how many times did you have guys trying running the ball? Hardly ever. Like you can already tell that the coaches have had a significant improvement. The effort is there with the Chicago Bears. I don't want to say that they're I think that I think they can be sneaky. I think they can be frisky. Frisky. I think they could be very frisky this year if the offensive line is able to hold up. Now, granted, that first game against the 49ers, you're going up against a really good 49ers defense. So it's obviously going to be that first game could be a real test to see how far that this team has come from the Matt Nagy era to the Matt Eberflus regime. I mean, Luke Getze was doing a lot of things. Great. I love the play calling with what Justin Fields is doing. They were doing a lot of rollouts, a lot of play action fakes. If he needed to get out of the pocket, he escaped. Like there was a lot of things to really like about on Saturday night's game with the Chicago bears team when the starters playing, but granted, I mean, it, it is only preseason. We're taking it with a grain of salt, but you know, obviously you don't want to overreact to things that are going on in the preseason. So I'm trying not to do that with Justin Fields because I think that he could be the answer at quarterback, but quite frankly, I mean the standard for what, a, what's a good offensive quarterback for the Chicago bears is so low that, I mean, he barely has to even do anything. I think if he goes to the pro bowl this year, I think he's already in one step ahead of Mitch Trubisky. He probably would definitely be in the Cutler category, but I mean, that's just my thoughts on what we want to see from this team. Well, not really. And that's just what I think Justin Fields will need. And that's just what I think about when the expectations of Justin Fields. I mean, that first game is going to be telling about where this offensive line is, where this defense is. It's really going to be telling where, how far this team has gone. All right, so we're going to wrap it up. We have We're going to be having our... Notre Dame football preview coming up later this week as that will be the episode big 5-0, the big 50th episode of the Feeling Soxy podcast. We will also have a very special guest that will help me break down the Notre Dame football season. We're going to preview it all, go through all the games. We'll also give a little preview of the game coming up on Saturday, the first game of Notre Dame season. College football is back. College football is back. <laughs> oh, I love college football. I love this time of year. I, I mean, I love college football more than the NFL, but I think they're both the same game, but college does things a little bit differently that the NFL just doesn't. I mean, we're in college football season, so now your Saturday nights can be spent watching Alabama crush some SEC team, watching Notre Dame crush some team, watch the – watch the, um, the Iowa Northwestern game at 11 o'clock. Now you don't have to subject yourself to watching this lifeless White Sox baseball team try and hit a baseball, which is, 
That's where I'm at in the season. I didn't think I would be at this point where I would be telling you guys, you should be watching college football before you watch this pathetic excuse for a White Sox baseball team. All right, that's the Feeling Soxy podcast, the Clint Klaus show. And I want to close it out by saying that I have missed a couple of numbers in terms of the episode number. I forgot to do a number of players from 35 through number 49. So obviously number 35 needs no introduction. It's it's the big hurt. It's Frank Thomas. I mean, he's the greatest White Sox hitter of our lifetime. He currently still leads the team in almost every major offensive category, and that includes home runs, RBIs, total bases, and slugging percentage. He is the greatest White Sox hitter of our lifetime, and it's not even close. 36, I think Chris Widger was 36. Mike Myers wore 36. 37 was Matt Thornton. He's the hard-throwing left-hander from the Ozzie Gein teams. Also, I should probably point out that these numbers are also from players that I remember that I saw them play and wear those numbers. 39, Aaron Bummer. I mean, does anybody even know if Aaron Bummer exists? Like, I heard he was throwing, he was going to do, like, a simulated game, and that was pretty much it. I mean, Aaron Bummer might be dead for all that we know about. 40, Charlie Hager, who is dead. 41 was Brandon McCarthy and also Matt Skull, who hit his first career home run with the White Sox while wearing the number 41. 42, Jackie Robinson, retires throughout the rest of Major League Baseball. Even you have... You, 43, 43 was Damaso Marte. Freddie Garcia also wore that number when he came back to the White Sox for a second stick because Gavin Floyd was wearing number 34. But if I was sweaty, Freddie, I would have just beat the snot out of Gavin Floyd and told him to change his number because be like, hey, you see that statue out there? I'm on that statue. You will never come close to getting a statue, Gavin Floyd. That's what I would tell him if I was sweaty Freddie Garcia, which, by the way, speaking of sweaty Freddie, he was there yesterday on Sunday. And he was wearing a champion hustle Pablo Escobar shirt. <laughs> that cracked me up so much. But, you know, I, I saw those 05 guys, and I just I just wonder what they think of this current White Sox team. They probably think that, like, half of these players are a bunch of mamby-pamby mofos. But 44 was Jake Peavy. Adam Dunn wore that number. 45, big bad Bobby Jenks, probably one of the better modern-day closers in the history of the White Sox from 05 and Till 2010, he was he was able to save several games, including he was the last out. He was the or not the last out. He threw the final pitch of the 2005 World Series. Also in 2007, he retired 43 consecutive batters. That was a modern major league record at the time. So Bobby Jenks was just a record breaker. 46, we'll call it Neil Cotts. Fuck you, Craig Kimbrell. You're a bum who is only on a winning team because the team is really good and you are a bum. You are a terrible closer. 47, Mike McDougal. He was there with the White Sox for like a couple years. 48, uh, I think Esteban Loiza, famous uh, drug lord of the Chicago White Sox, wore number 48 for like half a season that he was here. I think he was back for the 2008 season. And obviously number 49, Chris Sale. As we mentioned before, the Chris Sale who helped kickstart the rebuild. Oh, we're not going to get back into that. So that was Feeling Soxy. This was the Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus show. Later in this week, we will have the ultimate Notre Dame football preview. Try and take you into your weekend. Try and take you into your college football weekend. And, well, I, oh, the White Sox are playing the Royals. And quite frankly, who cares? They'll probably struggle to find a way to beat them, too. So 
Not even doing a preview about that series because how many times have they played the Royals and how many times should we say, oh, they should beat the Royals and then they end up losing two out of three. So we're not doing that. They're playing the Royals. You can watch them if you want. But and when college football season starts, don't subject yourself to this pathetic White Sox baseball team. Thank you for listening to my fantastic podcast, The Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus Show. I can't thank you guys enough for listening to the podcast, all three of you that listen to the show. Thank you very much, and fuck white. Fuck you, White Sox. Sell the team, Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Another game.